Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I'm going to explain it in a little bit, but first, in 2007, there was a one-year-old and a three-year-old who made a feature in a home movie which caught a particularly comical, everyday moment. Now, the family thought it was so hilarious that they wanted to share it with other members of the family who lived in different parts of the world. In 2007, um, the size of the file was too big for email, so they decided to... um, put it on YouTube and share it that way. So they uploaded it to YouTube, they shared it with the family, but as happens with YouTube, other people got hold of this video and thought, that's quite funny. And so they started sharing it and posting it on social media, and it got shared again, and shared again, and shared again. And this kind of very unassuming, everyday moment has become a viral sensation. Apparently, aside from music videos, this is one of the most viewed uh, videos of all time, and this thing went viral very, very quickly. Apparently, today it has just under 870 million views on YouTube. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of people. Uh, and of course, the video is Charlie Bit My Finger. Now, the hands up if you have seen this video. Where has anyone been living under a rock? Like this, okay, it'd be a shame not to show it. So, if you haven't seen it, or if you have, be amused. There we go. It's a classic. But what I would say, 870 million views. As if, if this is one of the most viewed videos of all time, and it says something about the level of humor in the human race, doesn't it? But, but anyway, um, early in the first century, a new movement was starting, and back then, although they didn't know it at the time, this movement would become a global and a viral movement that is often described, and I quote this, as one of the most amazing and influential phenomena in human history. Uh, This movement consisted originally of about uh, 20 people who believed and followed the teachings of an evocative Jewish rabbi that we know as Jesus. And he performed miracles, he hung out with and championed the cause of the poor and the down and out and the most ostracized people in his day. And perhaps most controversial of all, he made this claim that he was God. And and ultimately, Jesus, as we know, was executed, not just for what he said, but for the way that he he lived. The authorities of the day didn't like it. And and, um, those that followed him claimed that even after he had died that he raised from the dead which is what we celebrate which is why we meet here today because we celebrate that jesus rose from the dead but not only that apparently history records numerous accounts of people who weren't his followers seeing him alive after his death and then what happened is that this small movement of people, something happened which caused it to go viral and go global. And by the end of the third century, this group of 20 followers was just over 6 million strong. And whether you're here today and you believe in Jesus or not, I think that is pretty impressive that this small 
repeatedly persecuted group of people from a small corner of Palestine that was the most eclectic and dysfunctional group of people were part of a movement that today is over two billion people strong and who still bear the name of Jesus, who follow his teaching and are still adamant on his mission being fulfilled in the earth. And this was before the days of the internet, before the days of the printing press that this thing started to go viral. Something happened that got it started. Uh, last year you may have seen on the news that um, on the west coast of America, and especially in California, wildfires started and raged and ravaged like acres and acres of land and they spread apparently at an unprecedented rate. And I was reading apparently one of these fires started of a simple spark that was cast off with a guy using a hammer, but it started a fire that spread for miles because you see the nature of fire is that when you light it, and you feed it and you give it fuel that it won't stop burning. And this morning we're going to be starting a series where we're exploring the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts it's basically a journey of how the church got started and how it took off and became this viral movement. And we see that God got this movement, this thing that we call the church, started by lighting a fire. Jesus told this small group of his followers, he says, look, I'm going to go soon, but get ready because power is going to be unleashed from heaven. Power that is going to propel you from not just the city Jerusalem that you're in, it's going to send you to the ends of the earth and this thing is going to go viral. And in, in, in Acts 2, we read of this moment on the, on the day of Pentecost, which was a festival, that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on all the believers and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit that was the fuel to send this movement viral that we still are a part of today that is, despite what we see in this nation, that is growing ever stronger. And that is exciting. Um, but I just want to start by saying this before we jump into the passage. I sometimes feel that we can have a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And this is a talk in itself, so forgive me for this brief synopsis, and people will then say, you've not explained it properly. But for the benefit of the message today, I want to explain the Holy Spirit is more than just this fuzzy feeling of euphoria that we get when we have a nice time of worship. That's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And the most simple way I can describe who he is, and he's a he, he's not just an it or a force, it is a person. The Holy Spirit is the very presence and power of God that takes up residence in us when we say yes to following Jesus. When we say yes to following Jesus, he says, I'm going to come and dwell with you and be with you. And he comes and dwells in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And what's more than that, the Holy Spirit is the person who gives us the power to do the things that Jesus told us to do. So again, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to do the things that Jesus told us to do. And what I think we need to understand more than anything else, and especially in the times that we're living in, is that we as the church, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit because it's only in the Spirit's power that we can accomplish anything that Jesus has for us to do. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And there was an author called John Stott. He writes over like, biblical commentaries. And he said this quote. He said, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. I'll say that again. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the um, church without the Spirit is dead. 
you know, I believe that the church has way more to offer than just nice stories about Jesus and nice gatherings where we kind of put our hands in the air and celebrate who he is, not to belittle that, but the church has been given a power to go and change the world that is isn't, the kind of world that he intended to be in the first place. He has a power that I don't think we barely scratch the surface on, but he wants to put in us and work through us to change this world for the better. A.W. Tozer a great pastor and theologian, he said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Guys, before we go into this, I want to say we need the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And, and I firmly believe that the best days of the church are not back then in the early church, but they are ahead of us. And, and it may take a little bit of time to get there, but in order for us to, to seek that and see the best days of the church and see the church thrive, we need His Spirit. And, and in light of that, this gives intro to the series that we're in. And the series is called this. It's called Hear, See, and Go. And we're going to explore how this movement that we call the church got started and went viral. And how it all hinged on a thing that started in the first place, which is the Holy Spirit. And people who are filled with God's power to go and do the things he called us to do. And so before we unpack the, the Bible a little bit, I'm going to pray for us. Yeah, Father, we thank you. You, you desire a relationship with us and, and, and you come and fill us through the person of the Spirit. And I pray this morning you would come and, and fill us again with your Spirit afresh. That whether for the first time or for the hundredth time we may come to know you in a deeper way. To know the plans you have for your church. It's not just about what we're doing right here on the Sunday. This is, this is, this is a celebration and this is great. But you called us for so much more. And would you give us eyes to see that? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Cool. So, if you have your Bibles, um, feel free to open them to Acts 11, or if you're more savvy than that, you can turn them on, or you can look at the words on the screen. But it always find it's good to navigate your way through your own Bible. And we're going to be in Acts 11. But just very quickly, chapters 10 and 11 of Acts are perhaps the one of the, apart from the resurrection of Jesus and the cross, I think perhaps are the biggest turning point in, in the whole of the New Testament. And we can't overestimate the weight of what happens in these chapters. This is a big deal. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is a big deal. I can guarantee it is a big deal. And I hope we get the weight of what happens. But I wonder, to begin with, have you ever been in a place where you felt overwhelmingly overwhelmingly unwelcome in a place. I, I once took a trip with Lauren before we were engaged up to Edinburgh. We were going to do some Christmas shopping. And Edinburgh's a beautiful city and I'd made it a nice occasion. I put all our favourite things in a picnic and we were driving up. And I didn't realise this, but Lauren was assuming that I was going to propose to her on this trip. And Although that wasn't off the cards, obviously. It, 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 um, Lauren's my wife, by the way, if you're a visitor. Um, but, but I wasn't planning it on this particular trip, and when she found out, she was rather disappointed. And so, oh, I need to do something to make it up. And so I found on TripAdvisor what was the best restaurant. I thought, I'm going to book us in there and make it up to a this beautiful meal, and it'd be great. So we went to this restaurant at the top of the Royal Mile, and um, uh, I kind of didn't really research it. I just thought, this is the number one restaurant, let's go there. And I wasn't really dressed for the occasion. We walked in and thought, oh no, 
this is fine dining. And I was wearing kind of, what well, I'm wearing now pretty much, but probably a little bit more scruffy. Lauren always looks great, so she would have fit in fine. Um, but we walked in, and we were obviously so out of place, and the guy, kind of the concierge, he was like, yes, and so we have a reservation. And he can, straight away, he looked down through his nose at us, and I was like, oh no. And so he sat us at this table, there was a guy in a tuxedo, I was like, we're out of place. And other people were looking at us, it seemed as if to say, what are you doing here? And so we looked at the menus, and it was like, oh no, I can't even afford two starters. And so I said, Lauren, I'm really sorry, um, it's mains only, and please make it cheap. And so the, so the waiter came, and he said, what would you like to drink, sir? And I said, um, two of your finest tap water, please. And so we had tap water, uh, and we both went for the chicken, because chicken's always the cheapest thing on the menu. And Everyone hated us. They, you know, they rushed you just to get you out. It was like that, and I felt so unwelcome. And they put the bill very quickly. And um, we dressed um, and went to a place where we knew we'd feel more welcome because we were still hungry. Because the thing about fine dining is that you get nothing. It's like four mouthfuls. It's like, is that it for like fifty pounds a dish or something? Whatever it was. And so we went to the chippy instead, where we felt way more welcome, more our kind of people. And the reason why I say this is to very badly, set up a little bit of context for what we're about to read. Because um, you see, up until um, chapter 10 in the book of Acts, the gospel, this good news about who Jesus um, is, had not yet been received by non-Jewish people. This good news had only been for uh, the Jews. And so far, all the followers of Jesus in Acts up until this point uh, were Jewish people. Now, Jewish people were proud of the fact that they and they alone were God's chosen, God's favoured people. And the story uh, of the Old Testament is such that um, we see how God chooses one man. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, you and your descendants. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you and favour you. And they saw themselves as this prized and favoured nation, which is true in what we read about in the Old Testament. And one of the promises that God gave to his chosen and favoured people was this, that one day a Messiah is going to come. And the word Messiah simply means saviour or hoped for deliverance. So this Messiah was going to come. He was going to rescue them and deliver them from their enemies. He was going to bring salvation. He was going to bring them back to the land from which a lot of them had been displaced. And um, we eventually read that when the Messiah comes, they're going to enter an age when there's going to be peace and reconciliation. And there's going to be no wars, no famine. And it's what the Bible often refers to as the age to come. And if you were a God-fearing Jew you would have been immersed in the kind of culture and traditions and practices that carried this idea that God only cares about Jewish people. Uh, and any other people or nation or culture are second rate and you fall outside of God's favour, love and mercy. And this was still ingrained in the Jewish mindset in the New Testament. Uh, and so Jewish people, you had two categories of people. You were either Jewish or you were a Gentile, and you read about this, and careful how you say that word, but in the New Testament, the Jews and Gentiles, and that simply means non-Jew. And get this, apparently, at the time of the New Testament, there were rabbis going around and teaching that the only reason why Gentiles exist was to be the fuel for the fires of hell. 
What do you think? Man, that, that is harsh. Just because you weren't born into that, that means this. But this is the kind of mindset we're entering into in the New Testament. And I say this because it helps give weight to what happens uh, next. Because what happens is Peter leaves the first Gentiles uh, to come to follow Jesus. And this is a big deal. And so finally, we're here. Acts 11, verse 1. We read this. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him. So here is Peter. He stood in front of a set of Jewish believers who weren't happy with him at all. Peter had broken every rule uh, in the book, as it were. And, and he was in trouble because he'd been telling the wrong kind of people about Jesus. You see, the Jewish people believed even though Jesus the Messiah had come, you had to be Jewish in order to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus was offering. And if you weren't Jewish, sorry, uh, you're going to the fires of hell. That's kind of the mindset that they were still in. Now, whilst it wasn't just the Jewish person's beliefs and practices that made you Jewish, if you were a male Jew, there was something else that you that set you apart, a, a physical um, uh, procedure that you went through in order to set you apart, and that was, of course, um, circumcision. And so if you were to become a Jew, you had to go through this procedure. So can you imagine it? We do an altar call. Guys, come to the front, give your life to Jesus. And then Jeff over here will take you through for a very small procedure. No one would come. Like, it's just, it's not really a good news message, is it? But that's what the Jews believed. In order to receive this message, you have to be uh, Jewish. But praise God, that is not the way of things. Um, and at this time, if you were a Jew, you could not associate with Gentiles. Apparently, if your cloak touched a Gentile person, you would have to burn your clothes because they were considered that unclean. And so, you can see why these Jewish believers are so upset with Peter for sharing the message of Jesus with these unclean Gentiles. And so here is Peter saying, look, this is why I did what I did. And he says this, I'm going to paraphrase it for time's sake, but believe me, I'm not being correct. But this is what the Bible says. He says, while I was in uh, the town of Joppa, I said, I had a crazy vision while praying. I saw a sheet coming down from heaven. I just imagine like a bed sheet or something coming down from heaven. And in that, it says, were all kinds of four-legged creatures, reptiles, and birds as well. In other words, everything that is off the kosher menu was in there. Anything that was to make a Jewish person unclean and dirty was in this uh, sheet. And then Peter heard a voice from heaven um, I heard a voice from heaven um, say this. He said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So sorry if you're vegetarian, but the voice of the Lord said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Lord, like no way am I going to eat those things. I have never eaten anything that has made me unclean. But then the voice from heaven said this, you must not call unclean what God has made clean. So again, you must not call unclean what God has made clean. And Peter had this vision three times, and three times this was said to him. Now if anything is said three times in the Bible, that's not kind of just for dramatic effect, it's because God really means what he's saying. 
And right after Peter's had this crazy vision of all these animals in the bedsheet, um, he gets a knock at the door, and lo and behold, who should be at the door but three unclean Gentiles? Coincidence? I think not. I think God was wanting to say something loud and clear to Peter. This was God's way of confirming the thing you just had a dream about. He said, is, I, I'm confirming that in reality right now. And so three Gentiles were at his door, and I believe the Lord was saying loud and clear, whatever and whoever I say is clean and worthy is clean. Whatever, and more importantly, whoever I say is clean is clean. And then in verse 12, we read this, and he said, Peter said these words, the Spirit then told me to have no hesitation about going with these Gentile men. So Peter was led by the Spirit into the wrong place with the wrong kind of people, but to tell them the good news of how they could get right with God. And when we read that while he was telling these unclean Gentiles about the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and fell on these uh, Gentile uh, believers. This was a monumental moment, and hopefully you get the weight of this. Up until this point, this had just been about the Jews and a certain small elite group of people. Yet these Gentiles, these outsiders, the fuel for the fires of hell that this was being preached, these unclean sinners received the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit. It broke the rules of everything that the Jewish people, that God's people had ever known about. But God was demonstrating and saying loud and clear, there is nothing that can rule anyone out of receiving this gift that I want to give people. This was a turning point in the church that was the catalyst for this thing going global. This was no longer a small group for the elite. This wasn't fine dining for the tuxedo people. This was fine dining and the greatest gift for everybody. And this is why you are sat in this place today is because, unless you have Jewish heritage, um, we're all Gentiles. We, in the beginning, weren't deserving of this message, but God says that is not true anymore. There is nothing that counts anyone unworthy of this gift. And it changed the story of human history as we know it. And so, as I've come into land, with all that being said, so what? But what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me here and now? Well, over the years, I've had numerous conversations with people who don't yet know Jesus, and I've come away being really disheartened, not because they don't yet know Jesus, but because of their attitude and the way they think that God thinks about them. I've had people who have said to me that, you know what, Pete, it's all very well in God, but choice. God would want nothing to do with, with someone like me. So if he only knew the things I'd done, if he only knew what I'm really like, he would want nothing to do with me. Or, or people say things like, actually, I'd never set foot inside the church. If I did, I'd be struck by lightning. And they chuckle about this. Um, or people have often said to me, Pete, people don't accept people like me in the church because of the way I am, because of my values, because of my identity, whatever that is in. People don't welcome people like me. They don't accept me. As if God is a God who is out to smite and punish people, I think. Where on earth did the church go so wrong that people have this view that they're not welcome, that they're second rate? Because what we read here in Acts is that God says, no, 
what I call clean is clean. Everyone is worthy. Everyone is able to receive the gift of salvation. And you know, if you've ever felt like that, um, and you've been hurt by the church, and felt that like you're not welcome, and I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had the church misrepresent what a loving Heavenly Father is like. And you know, it happens all too often. And it's all across the media, and I think sometimes we don't help ourselves either, but I think there will be times, if you're a believer in Jesus, in your life, when you might have to say, look, I'm sorry that the church has hurt you, even if it wasn't anything to do with you. But say, look, can I actually tell you what God is really like? Because you see, God is for everyone. And, and hear this, there are no people, you may have heard this a million times, but I think we need to hear it, not just to receive it for ourselves, so that we can demonstrate this, to people outside the church. Know this, there are no people who are too bad or who have made too many mistakes or who have a way of living that is poles apart from the way that you choose to live as a follower of Jesus. Nothing can rule anyone out of the love of God and the chance to receive the gift of eternal life. And, and whilst we may know that, the world needs to know that. We need to operate in a way that demonstrates the world. You might not think like me, you might have a different lifestyle to me. Hey, but God's got a gift for you and it is for everyone. Because the gift of salvation and God's grace isn't dependent on who you are or what you have or have not done. It is all dependent on who Jesus is and what he has done for you. It is Jesus that made us right when he died on the cross for the sins of the world, when he rose from the dead to say, you know, everyone who believes can receive it. Everyone who wants to believe it can receive it. And there's nothing that anyone can ever do to discount you from receiving what God has to give uh, to you. And so, we're going to end in a moment, but I'd love just for a moment, and, and even if I know everyone is a believer in the room, I have been challenged more than ever recently to give an opportunity for anyone who has never said yes to following Jesus. And like, this is family, and if you've never said that, people will want to celebrate with you. Like, well, it's just the best thing ever. And so, just if anyone wants to close their eyes uh, for a moment, and, and if you've never had the opportunity, you've never heard about this Jesus, and actually, you're welcome, you're accepted, you have a fresh start then all we have to do is say, Jesus, okay, I want to follow you. And um, so if if you've never done that, all I have to ask you to do is just raise your hand. I'm going to say a prayer that you can repeat in the quiet. So if you've never said yes to following Jesus, let me just raise your hand. I've never said that before. That's all good. And you know, we're going to keep giving the opportunity every week here, and regardless of if his hand is raised or not, because I'm expecting that God wants to bring people to know him, and we want to give every opportunity to do that. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do it in that moment, but maybe you're thinking, that, come and chat to me, I'd love to talk to you more about Jesus. So as I close, this series, we're going to explore how the good news of Jesus, his church went viral. And the pattern we're going to trace is this, um, is, is hear, see, go. Uh, and just to finish for us, the first step 
Um, if we're ever going to be used by God in the way he wants to use us, is we have to hear what the Spirit is saying, and then we need to obey it. You see, Peter, the whole point with this, Peter heard the voice of God. We saw that in verse 12, he, said, he heard the Spirit of God saying, go with these men. And he heard what the Spirit was saying, and he was obedient to do it, even though I think he didn't really want to do what he did. He heard the Spirit say, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And he wrestled with it because he knew what others would think if he obeyed what the Spirit was saying. Peter had a strong preference for his own kind of people. God had a stronger preference for every kind of people. And if Peter hadn't obeyed, maybe God would have chosen someone else, but that hadn't happened. You wouldn't be sat here right now. He heard what the Spirit was saying and he chose to obey it. And if you want to see the fullness of God work in your life and in this church, as I said at the beginning, we need His Spirit. Not just to fill us with a fuzzy feeling in our worship times, but to give us the power and to tell us the things that He's called you specifically to do. God has good works in advance prepared for you to do. And um, sometimes we know them from reading His words, but sometimes God has something specific is calling and asking of you and if we don't have ears to hear we will never hear it and we'll never experience the fullness of life that he has for us you know this week as i've been pulling to part and i've been reading a particularly challenging book um, but i've been profoundly challenged and have to admit to you uh, as the leader of this church that most of the things i am currently doing as a leader I could probably quite easily do in my own strength, in my own ability, and out of my own gifting. We say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is because if I always operate like that, I'm never going to experience the fullness of what God has for me. There has to be a dependency uh, on the Holy Spirit. And I want to live in a way, and I think God wants us to live in a way as his church, that is so dependent on him and his spirit that if God doesn't come through or show up in the thing that you're stepping out to, then it'll all fall apart. And I don't live like that at the moment. And I'm sorry that I'm not quite living like that, but God has profoundly challenged me. I need his spirit. I want to live in a way. God, if you don't turn up right now, this is all going to go peaked on. Uh, But we, we need his spirit. That's how the church grew. And I'm not happy with... The state of play in the church, there's great things for Jesus' church. And so, I'd love to invite you to stand if you're able. And I want to give us an opportunity to respond. And this morning, just feel like God wants for us to receive his Holy Spirit afresh. And this is, it might be a moment where you get the tingles and the nice feeling. Because God is nice and he lets us know that he's present and and he does that. But what I'd love for us, if, if you're willing, maybe just to posture yourself, is to know magical power in it. Say, God, I want to receive your spirit. But specifically, for the spirit to speak to you afresh, to hear his now word for your life. He's got so much stuff that he wants to share with his kids. He's got so many great plans for you. You just need ears to hear it. So I'd love to invite Pete and the band to play, and again, there's nothing emotive in that. Apparently, in the Old Testament, music accompanied the prophets, so it's a good thing with doing this. Um, so, Holy Spirit, we, we just say you are so welcome. You're so welcome.
say this, and maybe you might echo this, but I'm sorry that this thing we do called church is all done through our own ability and our own strength. But we want to be a people who, not just in this place in church, but in our workplaces and our homes and our communities, operate in a way that if you don't come through, then we're going to be left hanging. But you're a God who is faithful. And you're a God who has given the, the gift and the person of the Holy Spirit to your church to do the things that we can never do by ourselves. So maybe just take a moment to, to think about the place that God has you, your community, your workplace, and your family. And there's lots of impossibilities of things that we'd like to happen that we think, oh, they could never happen. That could never change. That person could never become a Christian. Not just with us, but with, with him it can. And so, God, would you fill us and would you speak? We invite you to speak, Holy Spirit. We invite you to stir us. What is it you're calling us to? What are the places you're calling us to step out into? And maybe as we say this, the Holy Spirit might prompt you. And, and when we say, Holy Spirit, speak, you might say some things that I probably will say some things that will move us out of our comfort zones. He might start to challenge you to change the way that you th- um, to um, move out of your com- comfort zone in a way that requires greater boldness of facing fears. Right, so if you, if you 
do see a hand raise, I'd love you to um, just start praying over people. You don't have to ask them anything, we just want to pray bombs. I see a few hands, are just brilliant. And so as we do that, we want to pray and, 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 and then we're going to worship. So Jesus, we thank you that you're present in this place and we want to stay in this moment. Would you continue to speak? So want to be more than just about great gatherings. We want to be people who are fiercely obedient to what you're saying. You have so much more for us. We want to receive it. We want to obey it. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.